inside is Pharaoh looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance? A highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial, or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy, and fit at all times and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete. It's just under two and a half years since we presented a podcast with John Grisdale, and I normally wouldn't trouble a guest again so soon, but I didn't want to let this marvel out of my sight. John Grisdale will turn 60 on the 10th of October, which probably puts him in third spot behind Mount Isa's Keith Ballard and Cyril Small when it comes to Australia's oldest active jockeys. He misses very few meetings on the Northern Rivers. He rides all sorts of horses for a wide range of trainers, including his wife Donna, and is a fixture at Coffs Harbour track work six mornings a week. He actually retired in 2013 following a complicated leg break and for 12 months he acted as Donna's foreman when she was training at Kembla Grange. He made the mistake of starting to ride track work again, and that was the end of the retirement. John and Donna moved their training operation to Coffs Harbour in 2019. Maybe the balmy climate eradicated the occasional arthritic twinge, because apart from one little buster at Lismore, Grisdale has been behaving like a 20-year-old apprentice ever since. He's ridden about 150 winners since arriving on the North Coast, and few country-based jockeys have ridden more track work. Here is a man who emigrated from England with his family at age four. He was apprenticed to Bede Horan at Rose Hill and did so well as a junior that in one season... He beat all but Darren Beedman in the Sydney Apprentices Premiership. John was reluctant to do another podcast, but I talked him into it. Good day, Marvel. Thanks for your time. Hello, Tappy. How are you, my friend? Good, John. Always lovely to talk to you, mate, and I, I watch your progress very, very closely. I see you rode a couple of winners after over the big carnival at Grafton. Yes, I did. It was, it was very good to me. Um... I'm going to be honest, I, I come into the meetings going, oh, geez, I'm going to struggle here. But I rode two winners, which was really fantastic, my friend. 
Mm, one on the on Ramoni Day, the other on the Sunday meeting. That is correct. Yeah, John. I'm just trying to do a quick calculation to work out your total number of career winners. I'll give you my estimate, and you uh, pick it to pieces if you will. I've got you at about sixteen hundred and fifty career winners. That is around about correct, mate. Yeah. Mm. You know, I've never known a jockey to stay so keen for so long. Well, I I love the game, John. I lo- absolutely love the game. I did retire for a few years and 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 hated it. But um, once I got my body right and got going again, I just wanted to do it all over again. Mm. You had a rocky start after arriving at Coffs Harbour when you hit the deck in a race at Lismore. Three fractures, collarbone, foot and ankle. Dr Duckworth called the shots and you were back very quickly. Yeah, and concussion as well. Let me tell you, that was a very bad fall. Um, Probably one of my worst. Donna was very concerned when I when I come down. They they actually went and got her and said you better come up to the to where he is and 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 because I was unconscious and and I've never been knocked out before in my life. Mm. And this time I and this time I got knocked out and I was unconscious on the track and so mm. it's probably one of my worst falls. I didn't realise that. Mm. Now John, those Coffs Harbour trainers couldn't believe their luck when you walked into the place one day. You told me just a couple of weeks after arriving, there was one particular morning when you rode 26 horses track work. You can't say no. I didn't say no, but uh, I'm saying no now. I can't ride that many of a morning. But um, when I say when I say that, I love riding track work and helping people out, but that is my most I've rode in one morning, yes. Yes. Well, Donna, of course, has first call, but there are several other trainers in the region who seek your services. Trainers like Shane Everson, uh, Brett Dodson's another, and I notice Neil Godbolt from Port Macquarie has been putting you on lately. Yeah, uh, they've been fantastic. These people have, like they, uh, we, all, we all know that trainers come and go through your career. But uh, when when you get on the on the on a bit of a roll with trainers, they keep um, keep putting you on and, and giving you winners and giving you rides and and I do my best for them. Mm. Most of the tracks at which you compete nowadays are reasonably accessible. Places like Grafton, Tyree, Kempsey, Port Macquarie, Lismore, Mwilumbar. I mean, two or three of them are a pretty decent old drive, but you're not wearing yourself out travelling? No, I stick to that area at this present time. Um, I don't venture out unless I, I can get... I, mate, I'm quite happy to go to Rosal or Randwick if, if I got offered some decent rides or whatever it may be. Mm. You take those travelling on board, you know, but I'm happy to go to as far as Armadale and Mwollombar, mm. the Gold Coast if I have to. Excuse me, and but um, I just stick to this area at this present time. Your opposition up there is pretty ferocious too. This past season, with several outstanding male riders and a pretty big contingent of girls, Ben Looker for one, 
I don't know if you're aware, John, he's ridden almost 120 winners in the state this season. Well, Benny Look is, is a good, very good friend of mine. Um, he's, he's had an extremely good season this this season. And um, I wish him all the luck in the world because he's a very good rider. Before we review your career, let's find out more about Donna Gravesdale, whose training career started at Kembla Grange. That meant you were racing at places like Canberra, Goulburn, Nowra, Maruya, and so were many other leading Sydney stables. Is that why you decided to move? Uh, we decided to move because at the stage when we were at Kembla, we were renting and we wanted to own our own place and have our own complex and where we could be happy and, and not just and our dead money. So we decided to move to Coffs Harbour and uh, that is where we are now. And you bought a property previously occupied by a very capable trainer in Colleen Underhill. That is correct, John. Is Colleen still around the town? Oh, I haven't seen her for quite a while, but apparently she's still got a little farm with the cows and all that sort of stuff, but she's still apparently she's still in town. Mm, I think Colleen trained at Gosford uh, for a number of years. She used to race her horses in an all-white jacket with a lilac cap. I can still see them back in my early race-calling days. And whenever one of Colleen's was supported on those provincial tracks, they usually won. Now, you first met Donna when you were riding for the Wallace Stable around 2007, she, too, was one of Chris's work riders at that time. That is correct, mate. Yeah, that is correct. She was riding a lot of work for, for Chris Waller at that stage in, in our lives. Um, and, and that's how I met Donna. And, well, lo and behold, we fell in love and, and the rest is history. Mm, does she ride any work now, John? No, no. She leaves it all to me. She said, no, I'm not riding any more track work. She said, I've had enough. Mm. Well, she's the well, first. Let, let me. Yep. Let me tell you. Sorry, Johnny. Let me tell you. Um, she was a very good track work rider. Um, I remember when I was injured at Rosehill one day, and I went to the end of the hut, and Chris Wallace said, "And you just wasn't talking to me, pocket. You said, God, this girl can count. She's perfect with her times." Mm. That's a big rap, isn't it? It was a huge rap for her. You know. Because it doesn't apply to all track work riders. Some have just not. got a better feel for it than others, haven't they? Exactly right, yeah. Donna's the first to admit that the best education she ever received from a future trainer's viewpoint was during a decade she spent with the late and legendary Jack Denham. Now, Jack didn't say much at any time, so she must have asked plenty of questions. It was always learning. She learned a hell of a lot from Jack Denham. Um, she's always told me, she said, he was one of the best trainers she's ever dealt with. Um, but she she grew up in that era of the horses like Might and Power and, <clears throat> excuse me, a Might and Power, Spark of Life, Eremon. Uh, she took a horse to um, Tasmania, not Tasmania, um, uh, Adelaide. Yeah, and and one of the oaks and stuff like that in mm. Asia. That was the horse Asia. Mm. 
Right at the moment, you've got eight horses in work there at Coffs, and that allows her to be very hands-on. She'd be probably happy to take a few more, John, but she wants to keep the numbers manageable. What would be your preferred number? Well, we've got boxes of we've got fourteen boxes. Uh, if we have fourteen horses, we'll take it on board. But it's just Donna and myself to to do the job. We got a young bloke at um, Grady Spokes that comes and rides a couple of horses for us, and uh, we just do 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 it do it ourselves and keep it in house. You've worked with many trainers in your time, going right back to your old boss Bede Horan. So you know a good trainer when you see one. What do you think are Donna's strong points? Very up there, mate. She's a very, very good trainer. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not just saying that because she might, she's my wife. Uh, she's hands-on with the horses 24-7. If, if the horse comes before me, mm. if something goes wrong with the horse, she's there. If something's got to be fixed, whatever it may be, she's there. But she's very hands-on. She's a very good trainer, my boy. It's not widely known, John Grisdale, that you're a pom. You were born and raised in a town called Barrow-in-Furness in the county of Cumbria. You came to Sydney by ship with your parents and two siblings, and that must have been a hell of an adventure for a four-year-old. What brought your mum and dad to Australia? Yeah, well, obviously they migrated to Australia and, you know, I was too young to remember that sort of thing. I do remember coming over on the boat. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, but um, they migrated to Australia and we've been here for God knows how long, 50 years or now. Mm. So. You lost dad some years ago, sadly. But you tell me mum is still going strong. Mum's going very strong. She lives at uh, Tweedheads and she loves where she lives and she's having a fantastic life. In her 90s, John? 80, 81. Oh, God, 80, love. Yeah, 81, mate. I just tacked a decade on. Apologise for me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> now, you hadn't sat on a horse when you walked into Bede Horan's Rose Hill Stables to become an apprentice way back in 1979. Bede was a bushy who'd settled in Sydney and had earned the reputation of being a great horseman and a thoroughly decent bloke. He had a very big influence on your life. He certainly did, John. They taught me how to ride. I hadn't been on a horse in my life. When I walked into the place, or so I walked in there, learned how to pick up the poo from the horses, and done mm. done all those sort of jobs, and they just taught me how to ride, and, and so on and so on. Bede never ever lost his love of bush racing, and he'd often take horses to the western districts, looking for the right race. Now, even though you were a city apprentice. I think it's fair to say you really cut your teeth on the bush tracks in those early days. You are right, Johnny. Uh, my boss, Bede, obviously thought, well, I'm taking my horses out to the bush to try and win a race. I take my apprentice with me, and uh, I learnt my trade in the country area, and, and it probably made a better jockey of me. 
Yes. And how far away would he take you? Did he get right out to Burke and Cobar and those places? Yes, 100%. As far as I can remember, we went as far as Warren. Mm. Was Warren as good a track back then as it is now? They used to call it the Ramwick of the West, mate. True. It's a very, very good track. It was a, The circumference of the track was just extraordinary. It was really good track. Mm. They actually raced there two days ago, and um, I saw some of the races, and every horse looks to get its chance at Warren. Yes, they do. Yes, they do, mate. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't rode at Warren for quite a while. What the track itself and the, the the surface of the track is what it like, but I do remember back in the day when I rode on it, went, wow, what a track. Yeah. Other Rose Hill trainers gave you good support, and it was the late Ray Guy who put you on your first city winner. Do you remember the mayor in question? Yes, it's called, it's called All Sold. Yeah. She was a lovely man. Yeah, she was a lovely man. <clears throat> and I won, actually beat, um, well, I've mentioned it before, I beat the uh, the favourite of the race, which was another Ray Guy horse, was Papa's favourite. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I nudged it on the line. Yeah. Well, All Sold was a more than useful race mare, but she was a far better brood mare. She went on to become the dam of two outstanding horses, all Archie, who won 14 races, and the next one was even better, All Our Mob, who won four Group 1s, both out of all sold, your first winning, your first winner in the city. Yeah, how, how lucky I might to be able to ride her and <clears throat> what she produced in later on in years is unbelievable. Do you remember that special day during your apprenticeship when you rode four winners at a Canterbury midweek meeting. It was pretty big news. You were all over the newspapers the following day and Channel 9 News had a story on you too. Uh, pretty hard for a kid to ride four winners at a metropolitan meeting. You are right, Johnny. How could I ever forget that? It was something special. Uh, you look at today's, we have today's racing, we have, we race six days a week. Back when I was an apprentice, it was three days a week, uh, plus the country areas. And to what I achieved at that time was was so so overwhelming. Your most significant achievement as an apprentice was to beat all but Darren Beedman in the Sydney Apprentices Premiership. I think it, he won by a pretty handy margin, but you beat the others just as easily. It was the 1982-83 season. That's good dinner party material. It is, Johnny. Look, Darren Beaver was one of the best we've got in this country. We had in this country. I'm not going to take that away from him. Unfortunately, I did run second to him. Well, it's not a bad thing, I suppose, but still, but Darren Beaver was a fantastic jockey and, 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 and before he retired, he's one of the best in the world. So I, I've got to be proud of that. By the time you came out of your time, you'd forged a very good rapport with Brian Mayfield-Smith, who was running the big Nebo Lodge operation at Rose Hill in that era. He appointed you number three jockey behind Jim Cassidy 
and Nigel Tiley. So what was your role uh, in that position? Where would you be at the provincials? It was provincial, country and obviously city. I was I was probably more the provincial jockey for the for them. Uh, but when I come to town, I was always getting rides off Brian. Um, if Jimmy or Nigel couldn't ride them, I was on them. And every now and again, one of those would bob up at ten or twelve dollars. Yes, my word, and and I, and I read a lot, a lot of winners for him. I spoke to Brian Mayfield-Smith on the phone one day, not too long ago, John, maybe two years. Your name came up, and uh, let me embarrass you by telling you what he said. He described John Grisdale as a hard worker and a thoroughly professional jockey. Well, how good's that to hear? I'm very proud, mate, very proud. High praise. There's no doubt the best horse you rode for Nebo Lodge and probably the best horse you've ever ridden was Marauding. You rode him only once at his first race start and you were beaten half a head by Maze Cave, trained by Jack Denham, in the Silver Slipper. What a big, raw, green cult he was back then. Yes, he was, John. He was very green. He was even green when he, he actually won the golden slip, and he was very green in that. Mm. But he was such a robust horse. He just had showed so much ability in the early stages. And it was unfortunate I got beaten in the, go- in the silver slipper. Uh, but uh, geez, he, he was always going to go in leaps and bounds. Mm. Well, he's an interesting case, Marauding. He went on to win the Penfolds at Newcastle. Then he won the Todman Stakes at Rose Hill and then he won the slipper with Ron Quinton in the saddle because Jim Cassidy had been suspended. But he didn't fire as a three-year-old, John. He came back as a three-year-old. He had only three runs, no wins, and they quickly bundled him off to the New Haven Park Stud at Burua. He finished up siring two Golden Slipper winners, though. Burst and Prowl was the second one. Yeah, unfortunately, he didn't kick on as a three-year-old, but that could happen and have a hard time as a two-year-old. But my word, he's, when he became a stallion, he just he, he stamped his he stamped his ground. He was a giant too, wasn't he? I, I was at Nebo Lodge one day with a television crew before the slipper, and Brian got him out of the box, and we were looking at him there in the morning sunshine. And I can still hear Mayfield Smith saying, look at the size of the big brute. He said, you can't believe he's in a golden slipper. Mm. He, was all, he was all bone and muscle, Johnny. He was mm. so big. He was unbelievable. I recall a few nice horses you were riding early days. One of them was a terrific little horse from Orange by the name of Movil Peter, who was trained by that great character, John O. Johnson. I think you won a tramway handicap at Randwick on Moville, Peter. You are dead right, John. Uh, God loved that horse. He was humble. He, he was this, this country horse. That, he won a lot of country racing. And, he, and Johnny said, oh, <coughs> John O. Johnson said to me, we'll take this bloke to the tramway. And, and lo and behold, at 150 to 1, 
come from last at Ramwick and, and got the cash in the tramway, yes. And were you confident in the run? Uh, I was confident probably coming up the rise. Yeah. Coming up the rise, when I come up the rise and I was still going very, very well, I said, well, she's on my chance here, so mm. here we go. Yeah. John, you've got to put the starting price out of your mind, haven't you? I mean, you go out there, you, you know the horse is 150 to 1. It probably uh, creates a little bit of defeatism, for want of a better word. You've got to put it out of your mind and ride them like a 6 to 4 chance. There was a classic example. John, I can tell you one thing. It doesn't matter what price horses are in a race when I ride them. Um, I will go out and do my best. I don't care if they're 6 to 4 or 150 to 1. Mm. <clears throat> I just try and ride the horse to the horse, how the horse is going at the time. Yeah. John, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We've got a clearer commitment on the podcast, and we'll be back after this. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday, September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton trained Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020, the scone mare, it's me, who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcado became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and Racing New South Wales.com.au. Special guest is John Grisdale from beautiful Coffs Harbour. You won a string of races on a horse called Mount Verde, trained by a trainer from Canterbury by the name of John Winman, who rarely had more than half a dozen horses in work, but he did a very good job with them. You won a race called the Swep of Vessence. It was a black type race on Mount Verde. Yes, I did, John. It was actually Golden Slipper Day uh, mm. when he won the Swift of Vessels. It was they changed the, the, that race to another meeting now. But the, on, when I won on him, it was a Golden Slipper Day, mm. and I was over the moon when I won on this horse. But this John Women, he, he was such a good trainer, and, and every time he turned his horse out, he always run to his best, but to his, you know, a, the best of his ability. Yeah. I seem to recall your liking for a bush cup, a country cup. Every time you went out of town, you seemed to win a cup. You won a Bathurst cup. You won a South Grafton cup. You won an Orange cup, a Dubbo cup. Your old boss, Bede Horan, would have been very proud of you. Yeah, I've won many a country cup, my boy. And, you know, it, it does. It 
does excite me when I do win the country cups because I, I grew up early early days and riding in the country and every time that um, I go to the country, if I can ride cup wins winners, I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, John, we've been talking about high points for most of the time so far. We're going to talk about a low point now. And I can remember when this happened. You had a massive setback in the mid-1980s when you became very ill with a rare condition called endocarditis, which was an infection of the inner lining of the heart. And your doctors were absolutely baffled for a long time. Yes, you are right, John. Um, Actually, I was in hospital for three or four weeks before they actually realised what I had had and um, it was, they said it was bacteria encoditis and I didn't know what that was and they they explained to me what it was but yeah, it, it, it destroyed me for quite a few years unfortunately but uh, but uh, I, I didn't die, I, I'm still here mate. Well, it, it certainly <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> Now, John, an unfortunate side effect to that illness was the loss of one kidney, which happily has never come against you. But you did lose one full year of your working life. You were out of racing for one year. You are right, John. Uh, The bacteria encoditis... Yeah, it sends out little clots or whatever for your body. Give me an aneurysm, give me a kidney. And it was too close to my kidney. To, and the doctor said, well, unfortunately, we can't save your kidney, but you can live on one kidney. So we've got to take a kidney out because the aneurysm was way too close to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, unfortunately, I had to lose it. And, um, yeah, I went through some struggling times when it first happened. I, I remember that. Like Ken Russell, he just before that he lost his kidney in a fall. He did, and um, I spoke to him about it. And I was really, really concerned. He come and visit me in hospital and stuff like that, and and I was worried about it. But he said, I, he, he said at that stage, he said, no, I've had no problems living on one kidney. So I, I went ahead with it, and yes, I, so I've gone through life with one kidney. And here you are, sixty years of age, on the tenth of October. You had seven rides at Grafton last Sunday. You can do without that spare kidney. Well, it still works, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's working big time, big time. (laughs) You were still riding work at Rose Hill around 2006 when a young Kiwi trainer called Chris Waller set up shop with a small team of horses. You became one of his regular track work riders and you rode a number of winners for him too in those very early days. I did, John. Uh, look, Chris was probably there probably six or seven, eight months before I started riding for him. He was a young man. He only had about, oh, I suppose, 10 or 15 horses at that stage. We used to go to Newcastle and Gosford and blah, 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 and the odd one in town, and he really struggled at the time. But uh, he, he gave me a quite a – give me a go and give me – and, you know, I read a lot of words for him. You tell one amusing little story 
about Chris's early days in Sydney, uh, the days you were just referring to. You were in the car with him one day, travelling home from Newcastle races, when he made a casual comment that has stayed in your mind. It sure did, John. It sure did. I was coming out from Newcastle races and we'll come out and say, oh, my God, this training capers hard. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you just got to keep going, Chris. You're going well. He said, but, God, it's hard. Yeah. I wonder if he's saying the same thing now. Well, I'm just thinking, mate, it was about two years after that he stopped saying it and he, ha- he hasn't said it since. <laughs> God love him. Fantastic trainer. Mate, was there anything about his training methods at that time uh, that jumped out, you know, other than his thoroughness? Uh, look, he, he, when he come from New Zealand and, and they train a little bit differently than he brought that over here and he probably realised because he learned from a lot of people and, and took it on board and, and he had to change his working re- regime to adapt with Australian racing. And he did that and he became very successful doing it. Before your move to Coffs Harbour, you and Donna were based at Kembla Grange and during that time you had a horse rare over with you one day in the birdcage. Now the initial x-rays seemed to be all clear, but the doctors missed a hairline fracture to a fibula. So you just carried on, and it was two or three mornings later when you got the shock of your life. What happened? Yeah, sure, dear John. Um, unfortunately, they missed a hairline fracture in my leg at the uh, at the hospital, and, and I went back to work. I thought it was this muscular, and I threw myself up on a horse, and lo and behold, it snapped. Oh dear. So, yes, and so you can imagine the pain I went through. It was, it was so bad. Yeah. Mm. Well, you announced your retirement, and there was a fair a bit of media coverage about it because uh, it seemed that your riding days were well and truly behind you. But you started riding work again not long after. You felt better. The leg repaired pretty well. And I think from the moment of your first gallop... You were gone again. Yeah, it didn't take long, John. Yeah, it didn't take long. Once I got my body going again, and and I said, oh, I've got to get back to race riding, and and there's something that I love doing, and so I did, and, um, and then lo and behold, I've been very happy since, mate. The on-course facilities are very good at Coffs Harbour. And you've got that beautiful Boambi beach nearby if you want to give them a change of scenery. Do you get to the beach from time to time? We sure do, John. Uh, we take the horses. The, the, the horses absolutely love the beach. Um, you wouldn't believe how well they adapt to it. It's just, they're enjoying their life and, and training. When you go there and they go through the water and the Ways of your brushing over their heads and doesn't worry them. No. You might get the occasional one that you know concerns them, but they get used to it next time they go. Mm. And it doesn't do you and Donna any harm either. 
No, I took a bit of time away from the track and, and going just to chill out at the beach with the, with your horses and, and have a lovely time. One very old friend now training at Coffs Harbour is Noel Mayfield-Smith, who was foreman at Nebo Lodge in the days when you were riding for his brother. And I notice you've had an odd race ride for Noel in recent years. Yes, I have. Noel, Noel's been a good friend of ours for, for many, many years. And, um, you know, we, we still have a chat from time to time, but you know, it is what it is. I see you rode a couple of winners over the Grafton Carnival, as you said. Which trainers were involved there? Uh, Grafton Carnival, uh, which Neil Osborne, uh, I rode winners for Shane Everson, uh, and in co and yeah, it's been with people in, in Grafton has been fantastic with me. Uh, they keep it, during the carnival. It's, it's very hard to get rides because obviously the, the Queensland riders and the Sydney jockeys come up, and when you get rides for these people, you just you just love it. Mm. Neil Osborne, I think, is f- formally based in Brisbane but he's been spending more and more time on the North Coast. Neil Osborne actually comes from Canberra, my friend. Does he? Yes. But um, he comes up here every year uh, during the winter months, and uh, he, he, he does quite well. He, he's a purchase of place in Coffs Harbour, and it's, I'm pretty sure we'll see him a lot more of him. And with a bit of luck, he'll be throwing the rides the way of Jay Grisdale. Let's hope so. Well, mate, you look nothing like 60, I've got to say. There's no fitter jockey riding in the bush. And you're as keen as you were the day you rode those four winners at Canterbury as an apprentice. I'm a great fan, Jay Grisdale. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance, a highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy and fit at all times and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete.